Hi everyone and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host Jen Galler. And we're back with the second part of Dr. Claudia Miller's talk on toxic-induced loss of tolerance, or TILT for short. Go back to part one to listen to more of an explanation, but TILT seeks to explain the mystifying range of symptoms suffered by people with chemical intolerances. To listen to the full talk with presentation slides, I've linked the YouTube video by Beyond Pesticides below, as well as anything that is mentioned in this talk. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So this is a paper that actually it was the second paper after the organophosphate and remodeling paper that I wrote with Tom Propota, who's a statistician. Statisticians are vital in this. And we con- controlled the symptoms and intolerances reported by people in those groups that you see, Gulf War veterans, implant recipients, and so on, and found that they all had very similar kinds of symptoms, intolerances, and, and that told us that we were dealing with a general disease mechanism because these are very different initiating exposures. So something was going on that made these groups appear very similar and have multi-system symptoms and multiple intolerances for chemicals, foods, and drugs that never bothered them before. And this is a questionnaire, which you will have access to, that we developed. It's now the internationally validated reference standard for diagnosing chemical intolerance and toxicant-induced loss of tolerance. It's been translated and used by researchers in more than 16 countries with more than 80 studies published in peer-reviewed journals. And it's free online, again, at our website. And you may use that yourselves or offer it to anyone you know. And I believe Jay sent this to you in, in kind of an advanced message, something that you could do and, and watch a video on how this works and how you can use it. So this questionnaire was developed by asking questions of people who got sick after these different exposures and what things triggered them, like I just said, and you can see those on the left, common exposures. And we had people score the severity of their symptoms from zero to 10, and there were 10 items on the scale. There's also some additional scales. This is another important scale. We have people rate the severity of their symptoms. For example, problems with their heart racing, or problems with breathing, or problems with thinking, brain fog, difficulties, you know, changes in their mood that are hard to explain, like sudden rage or crying. Think of road rage, that kind of response. Problems with balance, coordination, headaches, uh, and so on, skin problems. So I'm not going to go through this whole thing because it's available to you, but these 10 items actually can be graphed very neatly So you can show how people were prior to their exposure in terms of their symptoms and after their exposure. So this is an example of someone who was exposed to mold, but it could be pesticides. And each one of those 10 items that I was referring to for symptoms is graphed on that, we call it a target diagram or a symptom star. And at 12 o'clock, there are symptoms related to the head, cognitive difficulties, affective or mood symptoms, neuromuscular, musculoskeletal, skin at six o'clock, genitourinary GI, heart-related symptoms, and airway mucous membrane. So those 10 symptom items that are rated zero to 10 on the quiz, it can be graphed like this. This is gonna help you a lot if you have someone who had an exposure of any kind, whether it's a pesticide or something else, they can graph their symptoms. The red line represents symptoms of one of the individuals that we've worked with. The green 
is how they say they were prior to their exposure to pesticides or to mold. So you can see the huge increase in the levels of their symptoms. The circle in the outer rim is, is 10 and zero is in the center. So rating the severity of their symptoms on those 10 scales gives you a picture, a graph, of how severely affected they were by their exposure. The diagram, the, the symptoms start to the right. The red is the same. It's like how they are now. The blue is following an intervention, for example, getting rid of the mold, moving to a non-moldy house, stopping the use of pesticides and getting away from any pesticides, getting breast implants out. That's what you can show with this symptom star. Working with a group now that's dealing with the in the Gulf where people became ill after the BP oil disaster. And they are looking at graphing pre and post exposure symptoms, even if exposure was long ago. You can do this and it's very helpful for showing this to a family, to friends, to relatives, to actually other physicians. And we recommend people take this, the queasy and this information, fill it out themselves, which is available online, and take it to their doctors and ask that it be placed in their medical records to illustrate how much worse they are now since their exposure. And then there's another thing, this is a sort of the third element of our self-assessment, asking, did people become sick after a particular exposure event? What was exposure? When did it occur? Things you would expect. This is an interesting one though, were any other people or animals exposed? If so, who and what symptoms did they experience? Um, so this is actually a picture of a Burmese kitten it isn't the one we have, but it's to remind me to tell you, this is one of the ways we knew that we had had a problem in the house. Not only did I feel sick, but our kitten who was susceptible to organophosphate pesticides also got real droopy after several days and finally died. So organic chemical production, these fossil fuels are used to produce synthetic organic chemicals. And since World War II, our exposures to these have increased exponentially. And this includes exposure to pesticides, obviously, so-called persistent organic pollutants, endocrine disruptors, and fragrances. These are all synthetic organic chemicals. We did not have synthetic organic chemicals until chemists invented, invented them around World War II. And look at how the various kinds of exposures, production and exposures, have increased since the very beginning in World War II, 1945. Further, and it's hard to get this data, but this is a graph of pesticide production since World War II. And you can see that there's been a rapid increase in pesticide production, and much of it has changed to other forms that are not so easily monitored. And this is not posted anymore by EPA. So this is actually a pretty unique slide because people are using many different things. So different kinds of fungicides and different pesticides like, like glyphosate actually, which was introduced you can see when it was introduced, around 73 or so, 74. Now, Randolph, the physician who first identified this chemical susceptibility problem, he started diagnosing patients in 1950, which was just after World War II. Up until that time, people had usual allergies and problems with foods, but it was then that he saw people who were getting sick from many common exposures, including pesticides. Now, this is important. I'm going to ask you to take your right hand and put it on top of your left hand. And look at that. They, they are, your two hands are identical, except they're different in terms of how they're configured. And that's what this diagram is showing. When you produce synthetic organic chemicals, you can end up with what we call mirror images of 
two or three or even more different chemicals. And, and so if you hold your hand up, you can see that it's a mirror image. You can see it in the mirror. And if you have a glove that fits on your right hand, it won't fit on your left hand. The same thing with chemicals that have several different, well, have different, we call these enantiomers, but they have mirror image molecules. And they don't work well in certain kinds of biological systems. And we're talking now about every synthetic chemical produced since World War II. And examples include the thalidomide, which resulted in terrible birth defects in children decades ago. Some of you may remember that. Synthetic fragrances, these result in mirror image molecules. Natural fragrances do not do this. Pesticides, the same thing. There's some natural forms of pesticides that I know you all are familiar with. Not true for the synthetic pesticides affect receptors differently. And, and this is something I like to th say to people who aren't familiar with mast cells, but with, it kind of act like the bouncers in a nightclub. So if they see some chemical or foreign substance, even a virus coming in, and it's a big insult to them because they're the ones that protect us from external exposures, they will actually kick them out. They will remove them just like a bouncer in a, a nightclub would do to a customer who was insulting them. If they only insult them just, you know, now and then repetitively, then it'll take them longer, but the mass cell sensitize and they will eventually kick that customer out. So that's kind of how they protect our tissues and all of our tissues. When the oil embargo, the Arab oil embargo incurred in 1973 to 1974, some of you probably don't even remember this, the need to conserve energy led to reduced requirements for fresh air in commercial buildings, schools, offices, and so on. And it went from 30 down to five cubic feet per minute per person of fresh air required in the, in the building. And the result was a whole generation of sick buildings, many of which are still with us and people are using things in those buildings and they're getting sick from using them, whether it's pesticides, bleach, disinfectants, or something else. Notice though, there were no, and there still are no, requirements for fresh air to dilute pollutants that are inside your home. Again, whether it's pesticides that were applied, mold, cleaning agents, fragrances, those things accumulate to a much higher level because there are no requirements to dilute the pollutants inside your home. In fact, people put on more insulation in order to save money. And that's promoted by you know various companies that help with provide insulation and, and counsel families. So talk a little bit about other things that have changed since World War II, but actually even more recently. And this is since the introduction, I'm not gonna say it's particular chemical, but children that were born in 1992. Again, this is, this is data from CDC. You'll see a lot of graphs of how autism has gone up exponentially. But CDC's data says that autism affected one in 150 children that were born in 1992. But in 2010, one in 44 children were affected. So you can see the huge rise in autism, which is absolutely a devastating problem for people and their families. And by the way, autism really didn't exist to any great extent prior to World War II. The first cases came in after World War II. Maternal chemical and drug intolerances. So if a, if a mother tests positive on the queasy, they're three times as likely to have a child with autism and 2.3 times as likely to have a child with ADHD 
as compared to control mothers who do not test positive on acquisi. But this is a way almost of predicting who may develop autism. And we have measures that we, we recommend, for example, avoiding pesticide use in this paper to help people reduce their exposures when the child's in utero or when it's new. And this is a paper about mast cells and how they explain many of these cases that we're talking about. And this just came out in, in December of last year. And in that period of time, it's had I think, more than 12,000 views by people. It's published, notice this, by Environmental Sciences Europe, which is a journal that goes through regulatory toxicologists worldwide. And regulatory toxicologists want to understand what's going on. They're seeing this problem too. And they're not biased by any kind of corporate or other influences. So mast cells, which were described more than 100 years ago, there is a plausible biomechanism now for tilt occurring following toxicant sensitization of mast cells, which are our immune system's first responders to all foreign chemicals, including synthetic organic chemicals, foods and food additives, medications and recreational drugs. And this is a picture of a mast cell under electron microscopy on the left. And you can see those little black storage granules, which are released when the mast cell has encountered. It's been sensitized and re-encounters a customer, if you will, or a, a chemical that it's been sensitized to. And on the right, you see a drawing kind of showing how there's a whole cell, mast cell, it will release all these substances. They start out, they're white cells that start out in the bone marrow and they migrate to the interface between all of our tissues and the external environment where they protect us. And we're talking about our airways, lungs, obviously, digestive tract, skin, urogenital tract, lymphatic, and blood vessels. They are also present at the blood-brain barrier, on the brain side of the blood-brain barrier. When they're triggered, they release histamine and many inflammatory mediators, cascades of up to a thousand mediators. And they not only release the existing mediators they've formed, but they make more at the same time that they're releasing these new ones. And all of those granules, which contain thousands of chemicals, travel throughout the system, not only locally, but then they will affect other systems. So that's how things that happen in the gastrointestinal tract, where we have the largest number of mast cells to deal with the biggest amount of foreign substances we deal with, that is our food, that affects other organ systems and that you probably have heard about the, the connection between the brain and the GI tract. So just let me say, think about this, 500 million years ago, mast cells first evolved in vertebrate fish, 500 million years ago. 250 million years ago, the first mammals, and that's the olfactory and limbic system, which actually regulates our attention and mood and memory. Uh, and, and that's critical, and that's what makes mammals and humans what they are and how they can respond appropriately to their young. 300 years ago, early man evolved. 3,500 years ago, Bible first described mold illnesses. 300 years ago was the Industrial Revolution. Remember, Fossil fuel chemicals started then, exposures to coal, natural gas, oil, their combustion products. Only 150 years ago, Freud diagnosed hysteria. And frequently these were wealthy women, patrons who uh, lived in homes where coal gas or gas lighting was new in those homes. There was no awareness that exposures could be causing these problems. 
less than 100 years ago, as we've said, <clears throat> synthetic organic chemical production began and grew exponentially. And that includes all of the things there, including psychiatric medications. And finally, this is going through some of the things that we've talked about, that it's only starting since 1950. There, Randolph described the petrochemical problem. The oil embargo occurred. We proposed toxicant-induced loss of tolerance as a new stage theory of disease based upon patient, what patients told us in Europe and the United States. There was no biomechanism known. But now, just last year, we published a two-stage biomechanism for tilt. And, and this has received a great deal of attention. And I'm delighted to be able to talk with you about, about this and how you can use it in, in your own work. Oh, so this is the last point. So ironically, you know, we're, we're humans. We can tell when we're having brain fog. We can tell people we're having problems tolerating certain foods. We're having digestive problems, fatigue, irritability. We can talk about autism, hyperactivity. These subject and these subjective, multiply unexplained symptoms and conditions. But are we now serving as the role models, animal role models for other species on our planet, which cannot articulate these problems? And I think the answer is yes, given that, I know it's yes, no, given, given how long ago mast cells evolved, you know, 500 million years ago is a long time. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Claudia. <laughs> I mean, wow, I think this sets a framework for how we should be discussing the exposures that are going on in, in a more holistic way, cell function, organ systems, and we're not doing this right as a, as regulators, uh, as legal as policy and and legal standards are not taking this approach. So our goal is to use this information with people that are making decisions on chemical use, so that they can be more informed about the alternatives. So thank you so much for your lifelong work on this and your continued vigilance and continued publications. Keep at it, please. We need you. We need you doing this stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much again to Dr. Claudia Miller for letting me air her presentations. And to contact and connect with her will be in the show notes below, along with any other information that was said. And tune in in two weeks for a new episode. Thanks, everyone.